You're listening to episode 82 of Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. Let's chat. Discover children at a whole new level. Be empowered to grow with the children in your life. Welcome to Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. Hi there and welcome to Chat About Children where we chat about all things children and empower you to grow with the children in your life. Today we continue the School Starter Series and we are up to episode four. So we'll be chatting about attention, learning and your child. Now this School Starter Series is a rebroadcast of hand-picked episodes from the Chat About Children podcast. And we have reproduced these episodes to bring you the high quality nuggets of information. And of course, you can access the full episode on the podcast too. Now, before I introduce you to my guests, I'd love to share my upcoming Flourish for Mums four-week self-care program that is starting on the 19th of November. It is the perfect program for all mums who are really looking for a powerful and guided way to invest in themselves and connect with a community of fellow authentic mums. The program is online. It's hosted live by me and it is inspired by my best-selling book, Flourish for Mums. You can find out more information at flourishformums.com. So today we chat to Jackie Peel and Jackie is a proactive and super passionate occupational therapist and she gives us a lowdown on attention in children. Now why is it important? Well attention basically is fundamental for learning. So if you can imagine a pyramid, attention would very much be at the bottom forming that solid base. So Jackie goes into ways we can build attention, ways we understand when our child might need a little bit of extra help and support to build their attention skills. And she also shares some really valuable tips that we can apply in our everyday as well. So let's get this chat started. So excited to have you here today. Thank you for joining us, Jackie. Pleasure, pleasure. So today we're talking about attention, learning and your child. And I think for a lot of people, they're probably wondering what an occupational therapist is. So it was someone who's a practical thinker, someone who loves to help others and someone who who doesn't mind, you know, being hands on with what we do. And I think that's a great definition of what occupational therapy is. It's, you know, everything we do in life, every activity that we take on board, every aspect of our life is an occupation. And it's my job to make each one of those parts of our day or the you know, people that I work with make their life just a little bit easier. Um, So sometimes we work with children and that's, as we're talking about tonight, attention, concentration, learning skills. Other times it's for much younger children and we're looking at early stage development or for parents to manage their own stress and anxiety that comes with raising kids and the questions that that they have as well. Yeah, absolutely. So there is quite a lot that is encompassed in your role as an occupational therapist. And I think, again, that's an area that we don't always understand the, all the aspects that come with being an occupational therapist. And one of them, which is a real fundamental that we're talking about today, is attention. And mm. I would love for you to, to just kind of get the ball rolling and tell us a bit about what attention is. Certainly. Look, attention is one of those topics that is, is, is as complicated as you want to make it or as simple as I can say, it's your ability to focus on what's important in the moment. Sometimes in that moment, it's lots of different things. And as we get older and more skilled um, at managing our attention span, the things that we can manage to, to pay attention to or to focus on becomes more and more complicated um, and more and more things get added in there. With attention, it's often 
one of the things that we get most referrals for you know mm. kids sitting in class and they're daydreaming away and, and staring off at the walls or they they can't focus long enough to actually do the problem solving in their maths or create a story that starts and goes through to the finish and I think that's what makes attention such a, an interesting topic to talk about because it is something that a lot of teachers and parents, they see it. It's quite observable. It's the child who's not able to focus in on, on what's important. But when you look at it from, from my perspective as, as an occupational therapist, there are many, many reasons why attention and concentration are, are really challenging for some kids. Yes. And I think the challenge is a parent is really just understanding not just what it is, but how do you actually know, you know, what is meant to develop when in terms of attention, like what are we looking for? Um, and does it become more of a problem once they do get to school and they need to have their attention kind of mm -hmm. solid so they can learn appropriately? Like how do you, how do you know before then, or is it more that you're going to work it out by the time they get to school? I think there are some key yeah, I don't want to say red flags because they're not they're not big and scary. They're just little things that we can notice earlier on in a child's development. And I'll, I'll touch on those in a minute. But I think the point you raised around, is it better to address these before or after? Or do we normally see these kind of difficulties coming up more when kids get to school? And I think the answer is yes. Attention and concentration is something that whilst it is a very basic part of our development and it, it has multiple areas in the brain, that require coordination. When kids get to school and suddenly they have this huge amount of intellectual knowledge that they need to remember and process and, um, and engage with, that's where attention starts to really become a very, very noticeable skill where you start to see big differences in how kids are performing and engaging against their peers. And you also have a lot more of that peer-to-peer measuring or, or opportunities to, yeah, to, to look at the differences between your child and, and their peers. Um, it's certainly not too late to do therapy at that point and to have some of these practical strategies um, implemented um, when the kids get to get to school age, but it certainly is a little bit more draining on them because they've already got that load of having to remember things and to be engaging in that learning as well. Yep, it's a huge learning curve. It's really steep, that difference between mm -hmm. moving from home or preschool environment into the school environment. So yep. when when we think about attention and how it typically develops in children. Can you give us a little bit of insight there? Yeah, certainly. And I think, I mean, this is a topic all on its own, Sonia, just in I terms know. of how development and, and attention develops. Because if we take it right back to the very, very first stages of attention, it's, it's that shared emotional engagement that mother and child have or that father and child have when they're born. You know, mm -hmm. it's I'm going to stare lovingly into your eyes and you're going to stare back at me because I'm, the most exciting thing in your world because you've never seen a human face before um, and it does all these wacky things and it makes these crazy sounds and it has all this emotion and eyes that light up and that is you know the, the basic piece of attention is can can your child you know be curious about what that thing is in front of them and a lot of the time you know there's, there's multiple reasons why why that's really difficult for some children to build that attentional skill with their family or their um, their parents but also too sometimes it's hard for parents to notice those subtle cues that babies are giving off to say I really want to keep looking at you for a minute and we're all busy but I think as attention starts to build from there it's it's in that shared interest and the pointing and it really looks at shared interest I think. Yeah yeah absolutely and as you mentioned it really does start from from birth and looking at mm. shared attention and joint attention. And there's some of the things that even as speech pathologists we look at 
as those early mm -hmm. communication signs or foundation skills. So if you had to describe some of the subtypes of attention, Jackie, what would they be? I think you just mentioned a couple there in terms of shared attention and joint attention. So shared attention is where, you know what, you and I, we can, we can know that we're both looking at the same thing. And yeah. I can have a, um, as, a, as the name says, a shared interest in, in what you're excited about or what you're looking at. Then as we get a little bit older, we, we've got this idea of sustained attention. When, when children are really interested in an activity, they can pay attention to that thing for a long, long time. <laughs> so yeah. we're talking about, yeah. you know, the, the example being kids on Playstations or playing with Lego when they're just obsessed with Lego. You know, you'll see that those children can be motivated to stay engaged in that activity for a long, long period of time, whether there's someone yelling their name or they've missed lunchtime because they're so focused. And I think that's also something else that, that pops up in our referrals a lot is parents going, but the teacher says he's got poor attention, but when he's at home and he's playing Lego, he can focus on that thing for an hour and a half, three hours if I let him and that's no problems. Yeah. And I think that's where these different subtypes of attention become really important when we're looking at attention as a whole, because that sustained attention is a motivational system. And then if we look at the idea of selective attention, Selective attention is not only that I can focus in on what I need to or what I'm motivated to, but I can also block out what is not supposed to be important. So I can decide to focus on my Lego despite the fact that my, um, you know, it's, it's time to go to school and I have a, a routine that I'm supposed to follow. I'm going to choose what I focus in on. Yep. And then as we get a little bit more mature and we start to develop you know, more of those thinking skills and, and that greater awareness of what I'm supposed to be doing and the rules and routines, um, we build up into this concept of alternating attention. Um, and I think also too, when we're, when we're younger, that, that idea of joint attention does actually lend itself to this alternating. It's if I get distracted by something, I can come back to what I was focusing in on. Yes. Um, Parents yeah, are good that, at that, that I think. Hmm. Oh, hugely. <laughs> I think they get really good at that skill when they become yeah. parents. Yep, yep, definitely. Um, so early on that that idea of like alternating attention is more of a I got distracted and my parent or my carer needs to bring me back to. And that's mm -hmm. more of that like, joint attention. It's oh I got distracted. Oh, but wait, there was that emotional engagement with this other person. I want to be sharing that attention again but when you get up to that alternating attention it's I can choose to be doing this one thing I can stop that remember that I'm doing this activity whether it be lego or something homework wise and I can go and answer my question to mom or I can go and get something out of the the fridge because I'm hungry and I can come back to the same part in that activity without having forgotten what I was doing or why I was doing it yes um, but we're, we're certainly doing one thing at a time but we're not getting distracted I think yes. that's the difference there. Alternating yes. attention is not a distraction piece. It's a, I'm choosing to press pause on my activity to go and do something else to then come back. And how would you describe, now I'm just going to go totally personal here. With one of my children, I might say, go and put your uniform on. So that will require walking down through the lounge room, down the corridor to the bedroom to get the uniform and put it on. However, it seems that three or four things whether it is the bathroom door being open or something in the corridor, there's just, there seems to be all these distractions, if I can call them that, mm -hmm. along the way. And so 
regular prompting is required to get to the end of the corridor to the bedroom and put the uniform on. Is that typical? <laughs> Look, it is, it is, it is. I mean, again, it comes back down to the motivation, you know, those things that are in, in between you telling to go and put on a uniform to get to school and actually get into the bedroom. There's loads of things that are going to grab, you know, your child's attention between here and there. And it's about that motivational system being switched on and going, I have one focus and that is to go and put my uniform on. That's what I'm doing right now. And if we're not, if that motivation and the reasoning as to why and the engagement as to, I really want to go put my uniform on because I'm going to get, you know, a high five at the end of it or because I really want to get to school or because mum's gone, actually, you know what, it's, we're running late, go now, like emotion behind this. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) Um, yeah, yeah. But if we're missing those kind of key pieces that really drive our motivational system and our attention system to switch on, those bright and shiny things between you and the the bedroom door are going to be more exciting and they're going to grab that attention and they're going to have that sustained attention. Yep. Fantastic. That's a great way of putting it. And I think the motivational aspect is, is extremely key. And just, you know, thinking about various situations as parents do in the, in the morning routine, etc. I find just even something like a countdown, how you got 10 seconds is enough of a motivation that gives a real finite boundary to getting mm. that activity kind of attended to. So yeah, that's a great point about motivational um, kind of weight behind attention. Very, very, very relevant. If you're a mum or know a mum who could do with some support, this is an invitation to join the Flourish for Mums four-week self-care program. This weekly program is inspired by the best-selling book, Flourish for Mums, 21 Ways to Thrive with Self-Care and Acceptance, and is led by the fabulous author, Sonia Bestelich. She takes mums on a powerful journey to reconnect with themselves whilst building authentic relationships with fellow mums. Sound like something you want to join? Join our community from anywhere in the world. Mums, it is time for you to flourish. Sign up at flourishformums.com. So what are, are there any other subtypes of attention, Jackie? There's one more um, and mm-hmm. it's divided attention. And I think this is where parents really excel because this <laughs> yep. is the multitasking. This is yes. the one that says, I can be, you know, talking on the phone whilst making sure that my kids have got lunch for the next day. I can be feeding my children dinner whilst still trying to cook another meal for myself later on. Or, um, you know, I can be watching the TV whilst, you know, doing the laundry. Um, you know, you can be doing two things at once. Your attention is actually divided equally or, or proportionally towards those two activities and they both get done with the same level of, of skill that's required. So is there an age that you've talked about parents being able to or be very good at divided attention is there an age or stage developmentally that kids become better at being able to divide their attention effectively there is look there's never really a clear cut on on this sort of developmental piece but you know in in primary school like i would not be expecting divided attention from from younger younger children i mean certainly alternating attention mm-hmm. but we're talking about you know a working memory component where you know kids can hold two pieces of information equally in their own you know, executive functioning um, and complete two activities at the same time. So it is actually quite a, a difficult skill. Mm. And I think, you know, when you look at teenagers and, and that type of thing, they get very good at divided attention. Yep. And I think 
when you hear about selective hearing, a lot of that is also divided attention. So I'm, I'm listening to you, mum and dad. I'm just choosing not to actively engage with you. And I can probably repeat the story that you just told me, but right now I'm doing something different. Yep. Makes sense. Makes sense. Cool. So that, that covers off on all the different subtypes of attention quite nicely. Mm. So how, what, what are kind of those key signs that someone, a professional or a parent is going to know that there is actually a difficulty happening? Is it parents just waiting for the teacher to say something? Because we've kind of talked about attention being more noted once they get to school. So is it kind of out of parents' hands and more in the, the teacher's hands to identify issues? Like how do you kind of rate that? With anything with occupational therapy, um, you know, my kind of, not certainly line in the sand, but when I say to parents, look, it is time to come in and have an assessment um, or get started on, on just some practical strategies that are more specific to your child, is when parents or teachers have tried to support and engage to the best of their ability and you're still seeing the child having difficulties in those day-to-day activities. Yeah, right. yep, yep. They don't have to be exactly with their peers, but if, if a parent and a teacher are noticing or one or the other is noticing that their child is 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 noticeably frustrated, noticeably just not improving, even though parents and teachers are giving that child the strategies that they know how to provide, that to me is an indicator to come in. Just have a chat. Most, yeah. most OTs are happy to just have a chat and sort of say, yes, I think it's worth coming in um, and give you more of that specific feedback. So when, when you do ask parents that question, like, what do you see? What are some mm-hmm. common things that parents do see? What are they reporting that they see a lot of the time in the home setting? Mm. I think it, it comes down to a lot of the time it's the morning routine. It's I have done everything I can to motivate my child to be on task. Most parents have tried the visual schedules or the ticker boxes or the you know, the external reward of if you can get ready for school every day this week, there'll be a reward on Friday afternoon. You know, parents have tried um, stepping their child through, look, I give him one very specific instruction and then he comes back to me. I give him the next instruction and he comes back. And usually when parents have gone through those four steps, you know, the motivation, the step-by-step help, and they're still having difficulties and they're still not getting out the door on time or there's big arguments around parents actually engaging it and trying to help that's the point where you need that extra support to either figure out whether it is attentional or whether there is something else like a sensory processing difficulty more of like a developmental reason why that attention and concentration presents itself as an issue and I guess you've started to touch on you know why do these difficulties even occur in the Mm -hmm. first place Um, you have mentioned sensory processing difficulties a couple of times can you just um, explain what that is sensory processing difficulties come in a lot of different ranges and it's a it's a grading some kids get extremely overwhelmed by even the smallest amount of information so if you're sitting in a busy classroom you know with lots of noise and lots of color and lots of movement for some kids that's really overstimulating and their brain just goes you know what i need a quiet space that's kind of dark that doesn't move a lot for my brain to work optimally now a lot of kids in that situation can manage the day. Like you're not having big meltdowns. They're not having tantrums, but they'll come home from school really tired and Mm. trying to get their attention or concentration to do homework in the afternoon after school is near on impossible. Yeah. Because all day long they've been trying to filter out 
all that extra information that bombards their system, you know, the movement in the playground, the climbing and the physical activity, you know, and those kids typically come home and they're, they're a little bit more grouchy, grumpy, fiery in the afternoon and very much avoidant of any more concentration. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you'll get sleep, you know, difficulties with sleep in that respect. Or oh, the other end is sort of the grading with sensory processing difficulties where kids will be completely understimulated by their environment. You know, the filter in the brain is so strong that nothing really gets through. The teacher up the front talking is kind of like, oh, that's nice. The teacher's up there. Oh, mm-hmm. but then there's something else over here that I want to look at. What we talk about is, an, is, is the threshold of sensation and the intensity of our sensation and from the environment that we need for our brains to wake up and go, oh, that's what's happening in the world around me. Yes. Um, yes. That's fascinating. That honestly is really fascinating. So sensory processing difficulties can be, I guess, one of the reasons why attention issues are occurring in the first place. Um, You mentioned language difficulties or language comprehension difficulties. Absolutely. And then you mentioned other developmental issues. Was that right? Mm, That's right. Yeah. Anything else that can contribute to why those attention difficulties are occurring in the first place? Yeah, look, I think we, we spoke about it before and it was that motivational system. Um, yeah, I think course. that ties in a lot with the communication is if your child doesn't understand what the instructions are, if they don't understand what the purpose of what they're doing is, then they're not going to be motivated or engaged to follow through on that. Also too, on that developmental piece, if we go back to that discussion we were having around how does attention begin in the first place and it's all that emotional engagement piece, if your child had you know, pain from reflux or, you know, wasn't sleeping well, they had some vision issues, their hearing wasn't great, they had ear infections. All of those medical things that happen early stages in life can all affect our developmental process because the brain and the body are trying to do healing. They can't put as much energy into growth and development. But also too, if kids are missing those subtle facial expressions and they're missing those opportunities to really engage in play, they're not putting down the building blocks for later attention. And as we've said a few times, attention is one of those basic, fundamental, absolute building blocks that we need to be able to learn effectively. Are there any simple strategies that we can talk about that can assist with attention difficulties or is that just too broad a thing to... Part of it is going back through that grading of of attention Um, and if you're expecting your child to be able to you know alternate their attention between the homework that they're doing and something else taking it back down to more of a sustained attention you know can can your child be engaged and focus on something that's really motivating and really important to them can they hold that that information can they hold that attention if we go back to that basic short periods of attention can your child achieve that and then stepping it up to you know if we need to try and teach children selective attention my favorite one is um is the purple placemat Mm -hmm. so we typically get just two a4 pieces of paper laminate them as an a3 or you know sticky tape them together with some laminate and as simple as it sounds putting that behind a workbook that the child's working on if they've had a chance to pick the color be part of making their their focus zone but just simply having a color or a border for the child to go, this is where my attention needs to be. It really does help them to block out all the other information. It gets really clear in their brain that right now, my eyes are here, my brain is here, 
and everything else that's going on if there's a timer or something like that that you can use again just to give them that definition of time and space as simple as it sounds I've seen it work way too many times not to kind of share that one that makes sense does it wear off after a while if if there's more going on then yes it probably will wear off but if it's more a case of I didn't quite learn or how to refine my attention then I've seen it work long enough that the child starts to then build that skill themselves so is the idea that you then wean them off the purple mat yep and and most of the time they self-wean like it'll be a case of you'll start to notice those skills getting more and more strong and they won't go and find the the purple mat to come in and do their homework in the afternoon it'll just start to happen and that's where just little practical strategies are working but if if the motivation and the the skill set around attention doesn't improve enough before that the novelty of the purple mat wears off then it's it's one of those key indicators to say might want to talk to an OT um, or somebody else in in health around attention and, and concentration yeah absolutely there's some really really valuable strategies so to finish up, Jackie, what would you kind of give as a take-home message for parents and professionals out there who might have children with suspected attention difficulties or working with children that you know, they're wondering whether a child has attention difficulties? What's your take-home message for us? My take-home message is that if you can make the environment and the activity really simple and something that's motivationally you know, there for your child and they still have issues or, or difficulties with attention, that's the time to, to speak to somebody about it. Um, but look, attention is one of those skills that develops throughout our entire life. And if you notice some difficulties or some challenges, you know, try out some of the strategies that we've talked about today. Um, but again, making the environment as simple as possible and the task as motivational as possible um, and start to build those attention skills um, like you would with any other skill. You start simple and you build up to being more complex. Yeah, fantastic. Wise words. Thank you so much, Jackie, for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Thanks, Jackie. Pleasure. A very important chat there with Jackie Peel. Now, remember, you can access the full comprehensive episode on the podcast. And Jackie and I go into a second discussion, a part two discussion on attention learning in your child. So you can also access that at chataboutchildren.com if you'd like to extend your learning in this topic. Remember, you can access the show notes at chataboutchildren.com and also feel free to leave a rating and a review. Thank you so much for your attention. I celebrate you and look forward to chatting soon. Thanks for joining the Chat About Children with Sonia Vestalich. www.chataboutchildren.com. Chat